Welcome to Women of Marvel. I'm Ellie Pyle. And I'm Judy Stevens. Time for a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Marvel Studios' The Falcon and the Winter Soldier yet, stop this podcast and go over to Disney Plus right now. You've been warned. However, I will say these interviews were recorded before the show aired, so if you're looking for deep spoilers, you might not find them here. It's been a few weeks since the finale of Marvel Studios' The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I am still so pumped after seeing Sam become Captain America. But, if I'm going to be honest, what I loved most about the series were the badass female characters. Oh my god, I totally agree. We had Sharon Carter come back, and she's the power broker? Like, OMG. Plus, Julia Louis-Dreyfus as the Contessa, and Carly going rogue, there are so many female characters characters who totally shine in the series. And that's why today we have not one, not two, but three interviews with some of the amazing women involved in this series. Today, director Kari Scoglin and actresses Amy Aquino and Erin Kellyman join us on the show. But first, let's get into Judy's interview with Kari Scoglin. All right. We're obviously incredibly excited for you to join us to talk about directing this series because uh, I'm so excited. A female director, let's do this. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like coming on board and what had you most excited about the story? Coming on board was fantastic. I was embraced by, you know, the Marvel team as they are such lovely people. And, you know, their whole a sort of sense of family is really you know, it's a tough business. And uh, so I, I found the welcoming committee to be tremendous. And of course, uh, my executive Zoe Nagelhood was unbelievably open and warm and smart and um, a real rising star. And so, uh, you know, I, I sort of seamlessly came into the, the world without feeling like I was skipping a beat. Taking on something like this, I, I'm very attracted to projects that have some real meat on the bone and, you know, something to say and are trying to move the needle and have a political perspective that is, you know, trying to say something. And I think in hearing, you know, the story of the shield that th- this was going to embrace the idea of really taking that out for a discussion. What is the shield? What does it represent? What is a black Captain America? What is that going to look like? And of course, it was an incredibly relevant conversation as time went on from where we started, which was, we started with that as the DNA of our our narrative. But as time went on, it became even more and more relevant as, you know, things unfolded through both pandemic and and the protests and the various various events that happened in 2020. Yeah, I mean, you've had a great experience to work on very sort of deep material, including Hands Made Tale. I mean, what was it like to be able to ground a superhero show? Well, that was the other wonderful thing that I was able to, um, you know, they wanted a very grounded perspective and comedy. And I had worked in, in comedy before with Paul Rudd and people like that. So I um, really loved the being able to, you know, exercise that muscle and, and jump into that space as well. Uh, because one of the things that's beautiful about the Marvel universe is that, it, and particularly this story, is we're allowed to be funny and we're allowed to be deeply dramatic and we're also full of action. And so we're really ticking all the boxes. 
and we're also allowed to say something. And so with all of that, it, it's a dream for any director. Uh, the other thing that was terrific is, uh, you know, being part of uh, the women who were coming on stream as directing in the, in the MCU universe. I feel really honored by the, the company that I'm in. My goodness, you know, we've got Chloe and Anna and Kate. I mean, we are all coming on, on stream with, uh, you know, like a freight train and, um, and wow, we're telling some really important stories. So I feel like um, for me, jumping in was every day I pinched myself, it was an honor. And then to be able to tell this story and then to be able to dig into this story with Anthony and Sebastian and really understand what the shield represents, what it might represent where it's dented, where, where we shouldn't be looking at it, what, you know, what the, all the, all the layers um, that go with a Marvel story, because it operates on one level, and then there's about seven levels underneath it that are, that are there percolating up. Um, you know, it's extraordinary. So I've been, uh, I've been having a grand time. Of it. Well, you mentioned uh, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. I mean, what was it like working with these two amazing actors on top of all the amazing cast that you have joining you? Well, they're lovely people. So, um, you know, very generous. And because obviously I was new to the universe, um, I'm a big fan. So it wasn't, I, I mean, I was new as a, as a director or as a part of the creative team, but I wasn't uh, new to the world. Having said that, you can't possibly know the world unless you work in it. And so I was very dependent on Zoe and on, on, um, Sebastian and Anthony to really know their characters because they've been living in the world for a long time. And they were very gracious about that. They're also dead funny. And so we really enjoyed, in fact, sometimes it was like, we're enjoying ourselves too much here. We have to come on <laughs> because they do love to uh, take the piss out of each other as it were. And, uh, and the hijinks on set are always fun. So they were a joy to work with and they really brought big ideas and, every day value added their characters and their performances. Well, I'd love to talk about Sarah Wilson. Not only are we, we seeing this extraordinary story about a superhero, right? A black man who's a superhero, but we're seeing the story of his sister, who's, you know, a woman who survived Katrina and the blip. Like, what was it like bringing her story to life? Well, it was terrific. And when we first met at Apparel, you know, she was, as she put it, I'm, I'm the last person who would do a Marvel movie. And when she read the character and when we talked to her, actually she didn't even read the character. We just talked because we didn't share the, the script. And I don't even know if we had a script at that point when we spoke to her, but we told her about our goals for the character and for the world that we, which was a very grounded world. And so it just ticked her box too. And her character is just that so natural and so real. And she and Sam come across like real true brother and sister. She brought, I think, to the MCU a, a level of authenticity that, that we don't get to explore very often, if ever, you know, from the family place. So she really, I think, helped us turn some corners to ground it into a very solid space, which was the home life and what that looked like and what is a female you know, as she put it, uh, you don't get to tell me, I forget the exact words, but, you know, she, you don't come back here and tell me like you would do to an older brother, you know, and um, we start to realize her struggle and she does it with grace. So, and then it, it, they have a real heartfelt moment 
later on. And, um, you know, that is also an important thing that, that she's part of his success. I mean, the minute she walked on screen, just, I mean, there's this great scene where you first meet her and he's come to like, he doesn't want the boat to sell and you just do this long hold on her. And it's just a powerful moment to be like, these superheroes are clearly the story. It's what people come back for, but it's the characters, it's the people that made them into who they were that really is the story. I mean, I, I cannot wait for fans to see her. And I, I think the point that you said earlier about being able to sort of come back to the series after the pandemic and after you know the summer of 2020, I think her story will resonate even more. I agree. I agree that we are so current and so, and that was just an accident of the universe, but we are so current that we are talking about stuff that people are going to really relate to. And I, so I, I think in the discussion of it, you know, any creator really, the, my goal as a director is to open the doors and, ha- and open the doors to discussion, not necessarily to solve the issues, but to present the issues in a way that provokes thought. And I'm hoping, uh, you know, if we've done our job, then we are provoking some really very thoughtful moments and some very striking, memorable imagery that is hopefully going to really send people in all kinds of directions in terms of conversation. I mean, I can't, I can't wait to hear the fans' conversations. I think it's it's going to be phenomenal. And I think one of the other conversations we might see is, is about Sharon Carter. You know, we see her return and we see a little bit of the reflection of what has happened to Sharon, you know, after all of this. I mean, what was it like being able to, like, uh, bring her story to the show? Well, what's great is, you know, she's a bit of a femme fatale, but she had to survive. And so, you know, she sort of comes at it with the, yeah, well, I had to save, you know, your ass from his ass in order to, you know, save his ass. And you realize, you know, that that's very much a, a very feminine story of uh, I could take no prisoners. So I had to do what I had to do. So my feeling there was, particularly with Emily, who's... Um, she worked hard at her stunts too, and her stunt sequences are great. They are, you know, she's in Madripoor and uh, she really kicks the crap out of a lot of people. And that was all her. It was, uh, you know, very, very little doubling going on. So she worked hard at that, which I thought was fantastic. So telling her story from that feminist perspective was, uh, I think, a real joy because we don't get to see that often in the space that we're in. I think it's coming. We're going to see more and more of it. But we opened a little nice Pandora's box there. So all good. Well, you know, we've, we've talked about two of these prominent women in the storyline, but I'd love to hear sort of like your directing philosophy, being on set and being a woman and, and, and sort of how do you, each day, each scene, how do you sort of bring your own philosophy? You know, the way I run a set and I run a show is that all ideas are good and embraced. And I want to have a safe space where everybody feels like they are able to contribute. You know, everybody's a filmmaker on a set. That's why they're in the business. So if they wanted to be a banker, they'd be a banker. And I I believe that if I hired correctly and brought the right team together, that, you know, the costume designer is a much better costume designer than I am. Uh, The production designer is a much better production designer than I am. So, you know, I like to surround myself with people who are better and smarter at what they do than I am. In which case, not only does it elevate the material, but it makes my job an awful lot easier. So I, I have the same notion with the with the actors that I really embrace 
their comments and their ideas. And of course, I've been so lucky to work with so many very thinking and smart actors who bring so much to the character and to their story in some cases, their character story. So when you're working with such thoughtful people, I'm always thrilled with how how much they are willing to be vulnerable and to try stuff, you know, to try something new. And it doesn't always work, but if it's a safe space, the whole point is you can't fail. You know, you can only, if you don't try, then you failed. So that's kind of the environment that I, so I have calm environment that wants to push the envelope as much as possible and is inclusive of everybody. Uh, That's amazing. I just love being on set and watching things flow and move and everything makes sense. So great. What do you hope for, you know, our fans to see, especially from a series that has a woman helming it? What do you want fans to get out of the series? I'd like us to have moved the needle. You know, that the, the racially charged conversations that we're having, the nationalist conversation that we're having, you know, we are really pushing at a lot of buttons and we aren't solving them. We are posing the question. So the idea, I think, if we can come away from a thoughtful place with the fans and the audience feeling like there's more that we need to do, there's more that we need to think about, it's not so obvious, right? Then I think we've done our job. So looking at the red, white, and blue of it, it's really important that we don't take it at face value that we, we dig underneath it and make sure that the iconic symbology is working for us in the way that it should. And that's even more relevant as a result of the pandemic. And so I think that shift from being warrior, battler, to being first responder as a hero is uh, seismic. Oh man, I have chills. I'm like, I'm so ready for us to continue to move the needle. Okay, one final question for you. Do you have any advice for aspiring directors out there, especially for women who want to get into film? It's a tough ride, but don't let it get you. Truthfully, you can do it. You can do anything you set your mind to. I think the one thing is nobody is going to do it for you. So invest in yourself. I mean, I invested in my first movie with Paul Rudd, it was actually, I think I was my big investor. Sweat equity is, is uh, a big part of what I still do because that's just the nature of the business, let alone female in the business. But most importantly, don't let them tell you what you can or can't do. One of the things we don't talk about, you can have children, you can have a life, you can have it all. Don't give up your feminine goals or your femininity, however that's defined by you, for the sake of this particular business, which is very tough on family life and on the female psyche. Don't let any of that get to you. Don't let them tell you what to do. Just you do, you, you create your own story. Well, that was so beautiful. Thank you so much, Fari. I'm so thankful that you were part of this. I enjoyed the conversation, so thank you very much. That was my interview with Kari. So powerful to talk to a female director on the podcast. And next up is Angelique's interview with pre-med major turned actress Amy Aquino. Amy played Dr. Christina Rayner, former United States Army officer and Bucky's therapist in the series. 
Let's take a listen. You've had such a cool career, you know, before you were an actor, you studied pre-med at Harvard, and now you're kind of playing a doctor-ish on the show. But I'm curious, I have a sister who's a doctor, she loves it. It's a very daunting career, much like acting. But what led you to kind of make the switch to acting? I did not consciously make it. I loved acting. I was doing a lot of acting, you know, in high school and junior high school, I was directing and, and continued to do it through college. I just understood that it was not statistically speaking, it's not a way to make a living. That is correct. Statistically speaking. I, however, got to the point though, where I just realized during my junior year that I was spending 40 hours a week, no joke, doing plays in a school with no theater program. So zero credits. And I was spending like the exact minimal amount of time on all my biology stuff. So I love biology and I love the natural world and understanding how it works. And, but I realized I'd, I had already kind of voted with my feet by what I was doing with theater. So I just realized I, I needed to at least give it a try and giving it a try meant moving to New York after I graduated. So I got my degree, did my thesis, et cetera, in breastfeeding, moved to New York, figured New York had waited long enough for me. I was incorrect. New York had plenty of more time to wait. So I went and actually got some training and it, which I hadn't had, I was just like doing tons of theater. And I started auditioning for Yale. And after being rejected flatly by the drama school, two years in a row, they finally got tired of me and took me in. And that was what uh, gave me great training and also helped you know, launch the career. I respect it. I have a law degree. So I get exactly what you're saying. I thought I recognized you when I saw you. <laughs> oh, there's me. So, okay, I got to ask everybody, and this is not even a trick question, like, but how familiar were you with Marvel before taking this project? Not at all. I mean, was I really impressed when I heard that Marvel had decided to create its own studio? Yes, I thought that is the smartest thing anybody's ever done because they have so much content. They have so many great stories. How smart. Don't give it away. And I knew that they were really well respected, that people that are, whose taste I really respected love these movies. I just, it's just on my genre and I don't go to enough movies and didn't see enough that, you know, when I did go, I would always go for like little character driven things because that's, that's yeah. the appeal. I don't have the appeal for people getting killed and stuff like that. Having worked on a homicide show for the last seven years. Um, that was another departure. That aside. I know. I mean, um, I just, and, and actually that was one of the reasons I almost didn't do it, but I was mm -hmm. thrilled that I did it because it was an interesting character. So for me, it was really out of the blue. It was very exciting. Well, and now, now you are part of the universe. Talk about full circle. I want to ask this question, but I feel like I know the answer. What attracted you to the role? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, she's super bossy. And I have played a lot of, I mean, she's, this is where my left brain, right brain thing comes in handy because I am very left brain and doctors have to be very left brain. They have to be very linear, but a therapist also has to be right. They've got to be able to create the story, see the story that's yeah. being played out in front of them. I love the fact I really fell in love with women who were not just tough, like, you know, corporate lawyer tough, but like actually tough having worked on the Michael Connolly series for as long as I did, because I got to know some women in law enforcement. And I just have such like, they're adorable, funny, wonderful women. So I love the fact that Rainer was a, a, a soldier herself, that she had suffered PTSD herself, 
She yeah. knew she had seen so many, you know, you can imagine that so many of her colleagues and friends and brothers and sisters in arms had died of it because, yeah. you know, we see it all over the place. So she really sees her job with Bucky as a life and death thing. Yeah. So she sees that as really important. And then she brings the female side of her, which is that she wants to, you know, save this boy, this kid. Yeah. Knowing all that, especially when dealing with the PTSD and especially with dealing with this idea of mental health and toughness and, and being this really strong character, what do you hope viewers will take away from the series and your character? Look, she's not a great, as he says, you're a terrible therapist. And she says, yeah, fine. I was a great soldier. What I hope that people will take away is that mental illness is the same as physical illness. One is not embarrassing and the other isn't. They're just the same thing. If you break your arm, you go to an emergency room. If you have a terrible cough, you go to your doctor. If your psyche is suffering in a way that's holding you back, then you go and you get it fixed. You deal with it. You deal with it. It's the same way. There's nothing embarrassing about it. As much as he, the two of them get embarrassed, the fact of the matter is they need it. They need it and they're being forced to get it. And I hope that kids and adults who see it will understand. You don't have to be a weakling to want to have therapy. It's what you do for yourself and for the people who love you. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you, Anjali. Lovely to meet you. Bye. Pleasure. Bye. Our last interview is with the uber-talented Aaron Kellyman, who played Carly Morgenthau's super soldier and leader of the Flag Smashers. Plus, Angelique also did this one, so let's go take a listen. I literally have been a fan since seeing you in Solo. So when seeing you kick Bucky out of a truck was fantastic so for those and I, and I lead that into my first question you're brand new to the mcu how does it feel to be joining in such a in such a breakthrough all puns intended <laughs> moment it feels so surreal i don't feel i feel like it's not sunk in i don't know when it's gonna sink in i don't know how people can get used to this feeling but i honestly feel like my insides are vibrating the majority of the time <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> that also just makes me want to know so much more about your character, which was really cool, right? Because mentioning Solo, like you were a rebel leader in Star Wars and Solo, which is one of the coolest reveals ever. That mask coming off. Again, another mask. These seem to be a trend with you. And for you, do you feel like there's something that attracts you to these types of roles? And what is it if so? Yeah, I feel like powerful women, honestly. I just enjoy playing powerful strong women and marvel very good at that and star wars is very good at that and i've been lucky enough to be in both i feel very honored oh, i love it so we don't know a lot about your character at the moment carly is a little different than some of the roles you've played like there's a stoicism to it there's a, a determination in that's a little bit tweaked on energy a little even different than your character in solo you know how would you describe the character and like preparing to play her i think i would describe her as very driven and very passionate and i think that that's what's tricky about her is that the the root of her is essentially good she's fighting for a good cause and her intentions are very pure, but I think the the way that she's going about it 
I think her her methods are very questionable. And so I agree with her fight. I just don't agree with the way that she's going about it. I don't agree with her methods. I think that also comes up this new idea, like the flag smashers, right? Like we're introduced to the flag smashers straight off the bat, like first 15 minutes of the first episode, you know, we get a quick little preview of this group that clearly is not in alignment with what has happened after the blip now that everyone's back. But, you know, can you give us a little bit more of an insight? Like, who are the Flag Smashers? So the Flag Smashers are a group of people that have come together because they would prefer the world to run the way that it did during the blip and it's not that they want 50% of the world's population to disappear again. It's just that they want things to run the way that it did when they were gone. And I think the the 50% that remained, they became closer. They became um, more unified because they needed to stick together because they'd not ever experienced anything like this. And so many people could relate. And so they came together and there was more um, more humanity, I guess. Um, and that's what they want. They want to recreate that. They want to recreate that with 100% of the world's population. Which seems like no small feat at all. And I think it's really cool because the actual concept of the Flag Smashers goes back to the comics, right? Like in the comics, the Flag Smasher was one person. But in the series, you are many. Um, or at least we think you're many. We've met a couple of you with a lot of followers. What is it like to be playing the leader of such a controversial cause, right? Because even in Star Wars, like, everybody was like, oh, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. They're just just Robin Hood. You bring it back where it's supposed to be. Like, I get it. This is, as you just said, like, you don't even necessarily agree fully with the methodology. It's tricky. It's, I think, for me, when I'm playing these characters, I always have to be able to relate to them to some extent and I think I do I think I relate to the like base of her fight like the root of her fight I agree with but then obviously the the flip side of that is the way that she's doing the the way that she's doing it but I do think it's interesting like it's it's fun to play characters that you can relate to but it's also fun to go out of your comfort zone and play and play and do things and say things and that you don't necessarily agree with you know it makes it it's exciting I love it. Well, and to that point, the Flag Smashers have a lot of enemies. Like, they seem to be just in the middle of making a lot of people upset, both the heroes and some other bad guys. How do you kind of play this role when it's like you are literally at odds against everyone at this point? I think because she's so sure of herself and she's so sure of what she's fighting for. It doesn't matter that there's an Avenger trying to get her and stop her in her, in her head. She's the hero of this and she's doing the right thing. And there's a, there's a big following of the Black Smashers as well. That There's a lot of people behind them. And so I think at first, I think it probably intimidates her, the amount of attention she's getting from it. But then I think as the series goes on, it starts to corrupt a little bit in her her ideals are so important to her that nothing else matters. And I think that's quite dangerous. And I think that's interesting. I love that you just touched on that because you do have this moment where it's almost like an historical resistance where people open up back rooms and you have spaces to be and you have basically like an underground that's helping the character. But one of the things I think is also very cool as passionate as this character is, you have a lot of action. Right. Like I again, back to my pun, like you literally break like the first moment we meet the character, 
you're punching one of the strongest folks in the MCU, like kicking him in the chest and throwing him out of a truck. What was it like preparing and doing these stunts? Because I know they can be, you were fighting on top of an 18 wheeler in a scene. It was intense. The training, it was really hard, but it was so fun. Like it was a lot of fun. They had me doing sessions before I flew out to America. And then when I got to America, the first few weeks of me being there, it was just training the entire time. But yeah, the truck, it wasn't it wasn't all me. I have to give a lot of credit to my uh, stunt double, Hannah Scott. She's the reason that Carly looks so badass. Everything I did was like five feet off the floor, just did three moves, and then it was like cut there, and then another little three moves. It was, yeah, anything that looks cool wasn't me. Okay, so no 18-wheeler jumping for you, bet. I understand that, though, because I'm just like... This is one of the greatest action scenes I've ever seen, but also they're on moving trucks. Um, I know there's so much more to come. We've seen even a flash of you in the same room with Sam Wilson. So we know more is coming. What are you most excited for fans to see from your character? I'm excited for them to see her dynamic with Sam. I think that's going to be quite interesting. I think their relationship is going to, be one that people are surprised about i think the way that carly makes sam feel is also going to be quite a surprise yeah and on that i will thank you very much and congratulations i'm excited to see the rest of the season ah thank you so much it's been so nice talking to you Thank you so much again to Kari Skoglund, Amy Aquino, and Aaron Kellyman. If you haven't seen Marvel Studios, The Falcon, and The Winter Soldier, what are you waiting for? Log on to Disney Plus now and binge watch all six episodes. And of course, look out for our next episode of Woman of Marvel on Sirius XM and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Marvel, your universe. Women of Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams and Zachary Goldberg, along with me, Judy Stevens, and Angelique Rocher. Our development manager is Brad Barton, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Kari Skoglund, Amy Aquino, and Aaron Kellyman. 